0: welcome back to the comics course this is an offering of Miskatonic University's remote education program offering literature 209 graphical literature and society and history as a publicly accessible podcast I am your ever tortured professor Hamby here with my ever wistful T.A. Rowan say hello Rowan Hello. we are continuing from hell today
1: clearly didn't actually happen but it's a lot of people's theories
0: now we've discussed discussed true crime a few times and i i know that one of the things that you look for in an analysis of true crime cases is plausibility Mm -hmm. now how do you feel about the fact that this story is completely implausible I mean for anybody with an ounce of you know reason in their system
1: it doesn't really bother me because it doesn't try to actually make it sound like it would be plausible there's nudge nudge wink wink jokes about how this is clearly ridiculous
0: right so how do you feel about it thematically i mean how do you feel about this uh ritual murder of sex workers as a metaphor for the collapse of civilization and a sort of bloodless society coming out of it.
1: Interesting, and I like it.
0: Uh, do, do you think that this is something that uh, is kind of missing from commentary? Uh, I mean, this was written in the 80s, and I will go ahead and tell you, I mean, in the 80s, there was a strong feeling that our society had become something completely plastic and artificial, and people were disconnected. From any sense of veritas in their lives. of Mm -hmm. truth of experience. Mm -hmm. Do you think that is something that still resonates with people today?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Okay. Because, I mean, some things have definitely changed. Mm -hmm. But, well, we're going to jump into Chapter 11, The Unfortunate Mr. Druid, And I don't think this is going to be a horribly long chapter uh, for us to talk about. Because this is less about metaphor and meaning and intent than it is Alan Moore just kind of continuing what he sees as the natural progression. Now for those okay, so I know you know a little bit of Ripperology at least. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Druid is? Mr. Mm-hmm. Druid. Yeah. Okay, can you can you explain for the audience a little bit who Druid is <laughs> you, you have that look of I know it, but now that somebody's asking me it my brain has totally frozen.
1: Yes. Okay. I-, I apologize. No,
0: that's okay. That's that's a natural reaction, I think. Well, as we open these pages, we see people playing cricket, mm-hmm. which as an American, I do not understand the appeal of cricket. I don't think I'm capable of it. Mm-hmm. You know, somewhere along the way in my DNA was written that I love apple pie uh, and don't understand cricket. Not that apple pie is uniquely American, folks. The British had it before America was ever founded. Anyway, uh, Druitt was an actual person mm-hmm. who was a teacher. He was a cricket player and indeed was a fairly big name in the cricket world. Mm-hmm. Now, admittedly, he didn't become one of the big names of the cr- early professional cricket world, but he played with a lot of them. Mm-hmm and he was a member of multiple clubs including traveling clubs he played field hockey also but, and, and so he was definitely an athletic sort of chap
1: mm-hmm.
0: and was somebody who lived for cricket in fact he ended up being both the president and treasurer of his cricket club he was also a barrister and taught at a boys school and that's all we get of him at first is just seeing him out there uh, at the field A little bit. Presumably, in this case, it looks like it is probably the boys playing at the school he teaches at. And he's kind of coaching. Mm -hmm. Then we see Harry, who was a social uh, uh, acquaintance of Mary Kelly and others. And we saw the fight several chapters earlier at the Britannia. Mm -hmm. And he's asked by the storekeep to go check on her. This is a little bit of fictionalization and actual history. It was the landlord slash storekeep who checked himself and found the body. We switch back to Druitt and what some people would probably paint as a vaguely homoerotic scene of a bunch of boys in the shower. Uh, Alan Moore wants to introduce the possibility here, but... It's a bunch of guys in a shower. You do that after you've been out on the field exercising. I don't think there's anything homoerotic necessarily about it. Mm -hmm. But it was introduced in such a way so as to make us question if there's something going on here. And we're jumping back and forth, back and forth. So obviously Druitt is going to be somebody important to the story. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We see Aberline find the body. The body is, of course, completely trashed. And the reader is meant to know something at this point that Aberline does not. This is Emma. This is the woman that Aberline is going to be waiting for, the Britannia, to pay back his five pounds and for him to do the squelchies with. And now he's looking at her completely destroyed corpse. Although, of course, there is a question. Does he recognize her? He doesn't seem to. But then again, the face was mutilated. So maybe he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. As things go on, Everline seems fairly composed at this point. You know, in the past, he ha- has been very much on edge, but he seems to... Uh, uh, be on kind of high, oddly high spirits for still finding these horribly mutilated women because he's so enamored of this Emma who he's going to hook up with and the storyline goes on that way and there's nothing particularly interesting or thematic but Aberline when he ends up leaving the office is wearing cologne hey baby he goes down to the Tin Bells, which I guess is where he was going to meet Mary Kelly slash Emma. Uh, he being Fred, the saddle maker. He orders the pints. A pint for him and a half pint for her. And he waits and he waits and he waits. And then finally, as the place is closing, he's like, look, um, maybe you got a note for me? Uh, I, I was supposed to meet, you know, this chick here. And the keep's wife says oh yeah yeah we do have one it's like would have been nice if you you know asked about it earlier instead of him waiting all damn night so he gets the note and he opens and it says dear fred i am sorry to do the dirty on you like this you are a good man really you are fred look i can't do a woman's voice well don't laugh at me
1: too late
0: uh <laughs> so anyway she says i'm sorry i'm out I'm disappearing, I'm not paying your money back, I feel bad about it, and you're a really great guy, but I gotta bail. Love him. So, here's my question to you. I, mm-hmm. I said in the last podcast that in this chapter, we would reveal something I lied about, and something I purposely avoided saying in the last one. Can you guess what? That's right, we're having a quiz here, folks. It's almost like I'm a real teacher. Almost. I don't. So, I lied earlier, in earlier episodes, mm-hmm. um, when I said that Mary Kelly would end up dead. Mm-hmm. That Mary Kelly would be murdered. And what I purposely avoided saying in the last one, when Gull killed the woman in the apartment. Notice I referred to it as Mary Kelly's apartment. But but from then onward, I always referred to the body as the body, Mm -hmm. not as Mary Kelly. And think about it. She had five pounds, which is about five hundred dollars in today's money Mm -hmm. or five hundred pounds in today's money, which is more than that in American dollars. Why would she? And she was in mortal fear of her life. Why would she sit around and wait? She didn't. She GTFO'd.
1: As you should in that situation. Right!
0: She decided fuck this, I'm heading back to Ireland, away from these godless
1: Brits. She wasn't stupid.
0: <laughs> now, I'm not sure, you know, judging all Brits by London is, you know, fair, but um... <laughs> but, uh, uh, and just to be clear to anyone listening, I am talking about the London of the 1880s. It was a rough place by any standard.
1: Wasn't everyone everywhere kind of rough back then, though? I,
0: I mean, it was, but London was... It was a seat of industry. I mean, it was... The sky was cloudy with smoke from uh, uh, manufacturing. Uh, people were immigrating and from all over Europe trying to find a better place to live. It, it was rough, mm-hmm. as we've talked about. So that's, of course, the sort of final joke that Mary Kelly didn't die The ritual was never completed in the way that Gull intended. And maybe that is a as a consequence why some of the things are screwed up and happen that happen from here on out. Now, Aberline is bitter. We saw back in the prologue how he got extremely angry on the beach with this woman and guy stooping in the dunes. Mm -hmm. And him calling her a whore and being angry about it. And here he finds, you know, a lady outside who kind of starts to chat him up. So he gets angry and grabs her and forces a constable to arrest her. Um, so this is his point. Emma has abandoned him. He is now bitter and angry in the story. But this is also kind of this weird consequence that Alan Moore is writing about. So Alan Moore writes about the degradation of society into the 20th century Mm -hmm. and part of this is about women so this ritual is complete and Aberline is the first victim of it he now has this insane irrational hatred of women especially associated with sex and so focusing on sex workers Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and this is part of Alan Moore's point this is part of what destroys our society this division and, and this vile or bile, if you would. So as we go on, we find they're changing the nameplates on the chief inspector's door because, obviously, Anderson resigned and now it's Charles. And they're trying to figure out what to do about this mess. They're mostly Freemasons uh, who know about it. And they're high ups in the government. And they're pretty sure a goal is done. But they need it wrapped up. Now keep in mind, this is November at this point. But people didn't know the murders were done. There were gaps between the other murders. It's not like they happened four nights in a row.
1: Yeah, people were really worried for years for years, for when he might come back and strike.
0: Absolutely. So the fact that it's been a little while isn't really that comforting to people. So as the chapter goes on, we get the inquest. We get to meet Oscar Wilde for a moment, the famous Irish writer uh, who was known for his wit and... Uh, being very gay. I mean, basically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we just keep going. The storyline keeps going. As we see these people milling about from the inquest, we see the consequences of the inquest. We see Druitt actually meet Gull. And Gull just has this complete psycho look on his face like he's become detached from reality. Perhaps because his ritual did not work right and he did not give the offering that he thought he was giving. Uh, ju- just to be clear, by the way, when we did last see Mary Kelly alive, she had other women visiting, and since she had lost the key, people were free to come in, and they had had come in. One of them had come in and just crashed at her place for the night, and that's who Goal murdered. Mm-hmm. One, one of the women we had seen previously. So Gull is wandering around, uh, and he seems detached in the. Freemason leaders at the police department say that he seems off. Something has gone broken in his head, but he is physically healthy as the storyline goes on. Basically, Druid is fired from his position at the school. Mm -hmm. Uh, Historically, this happened because of something improper. We don't know what historically, Mm -hmm. but it was implied that perhaps he was homosexual And perhaps even had a relationship with one of the male students. Here in the story, it's framed that he kissed a male student. uh, And he says, well, it was just an affectionate peck on the cheek kind of thing to encourage him. Um, They say, "Eh, that sounds like you're a butt pirate. We're firing you. What? Is that too indirect? Should I be cruder? No. Okay. So he's fired for being a butt pirate. Which I'm now going to use repeatedly because it's making you cringe. Um... (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to be a Twitter troll. I promise. (laughs) Thank you. But I just did it once because, I mean, I had to. There was a moral obligation as your professor to make you uncomfortable. So Druid is fired. And he's quickly settled upon as what Sir Charles calls the goat. And what he means by that is a sacrificial goat. Now, there's an irony here, of course, right? Mm-hmm. So, we, we've had five women. It was supposed to be four, then became five. Used as sacrifices to this insane Masonic ritual.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: For the Godhead by Sir Gol, And now, suddenly... We're having a man sacrificed as a scapegoat for Gull himself. Yeah. (laughs) And basically, they're going to frame him for being Jack the Ripper. Now, there are some flaws with this. Now, what proceeds takes what we know from actual history and adds to it. So let me tell you what we know from actual history. So Druitt was let go of his job. He was despondent. And he was later found in the Thames with rocks in his pocket and a substantial amount of money and which was believed to perhaps be a severance from the school. Mm -hmm. And he was officially determined to have essentially drowned while of unsound mind, which is kind of like saying we know he committed suicide but we're going to chalk it up to him being nuts so that the family doesn't have to be burdened with it being a suicide. As mm-hmm. a polite thing. And, I mean, if he was really out of off his rock, or maybe it was somehow, you know, I mean, because everybody accidentally fills their jackets with rocks in their pockets and then walks off into the river, right?
1: Yeah, it's the everyday thing for everyone. They're, right, they're exactly. pushing people out of there all the time. I know.
0: So, and afterwards... McNaughton, who is one of these, you know, senior uh, police officers here, said in his memoirs that he felt there were three really strong candidates for Jack the Ripper and that Druitt was by far the most likely one and basically said he was sure of it. He also reported that the family knew he was Jack the Ripper. However, that's hearsay, and there's no evidence the family ever actually said that. Yeah. So this disparity is something that Alan Moore is jumping on to utilize for the story. And indeed, we see some constables prominently wearing Freemason rings, getting Druitt's uh, a real friend to help. And we do see Druitt contemplating checking himself into an insane asylum, mm-hmm. which he mentions here uh, that they considered... They're considering putting his mother there Sorry, Siri thought I was talking to her
1: She does that a lot I
0: know So he, he, he mentions here that they're considering putting his mother into an insane asylum And in fact, in history, his mother was committed to an asylum in 1890 So he disappeared in November of 1888 His body was dragged out of the Thames in December of 1888 About a month later Although it was cold, so his body didn't decompose as much as it could have. So, Druid is the sacrificial goateer. Uh, and he makes comments about maybe I take after my mother too much. And I'm not super masculine. Which can speak to potentially being what they once would have called a poofter. An effeminate man who's a homosexual. And may also speak to perhaps he has some mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Both of these are very possible. So at the end of it, he's basically been drugged. They put rocks in his pockets and they throw him in the river and it's done. And there we go. I think that might be the shortest from hell chapter we've done 20 minutes.
1: Oh, definitely the shortest. They're only pretty long.
0: Now the next chapter gets pretty wild and I'm looking forward to it. And I don't mean Oscar Wilde. In fact, but piracy is done as a topic. Um, now, Alan Moore likes bringing these things up because he has been very upfront over the years that he's a very that he is a very sex positive, and for him it ties into the whole magic stuff. And he kind of likes making people who are too tightly wound uncomfortable. And I kind of love that about him, actually. Um, and nothing, just to be clear, if anybody uh, it, it wants to take personal offense at my sense of humor, uh, don't transfer that to Alan Moore. He is not slagging on homosexual men at all. What he's doing is reflecting the reality of the culture of Victorian England, which legitimately considered being a homosexual man a death penalty Mm -hmm. offense, which is completely psycho, but it was the culture of the time.
1: But it's true that that was a thing.
0: Right. And I do want to put a plug in. Check out my non-Jack the Ripper, non-from-hell episodes this month. We're going to be talking about LGBTQ. And when I've put together my roster of topics for this month for those episodes, I decided to avoid some things. For example, there's some phenomenal books out there, like uh, My Alcoholic Escape from Loneliness and Fun Home and things like that. And they're very serious and powerful works, but they're also depressing. And I decided for Pride Month this month, I wanted to go with the Pride angle and do things uh, about the LGBTQ plus community that are joyful Mm -hmm. and fun.
1: This is a celebration month. Right.
0: So that's what we're doing. I'm not saying I won't cover these more wholly depressing things later. Um, I do think there are important stories that need to be told. But... Not this month. This month we're going to take the uh, gay, lesbian, bi, trans, uh, and all the other terms communities and do more of a joyful noise Mm -hmm. with them. Okay. So join us for that and keep reading comics. Bye.